Welcome to Crosspoint. 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 An interactive program featuring ministers and leaders of the Christian community addressing the issues that are challenging the church today. Here's your host, Mark Taylor. Welcome to today's Crosspoint. I'm Mark Taylor, and today we're going to be discussing the millennium reign. My guest is best-selling author, international speaker, and he's also the author of the Now Next and Final Prophecy series concerning this. He's had on many television shows and radio shows, Bill Salas. And here today on Crosspoint, uh, we're talking with Bill Salas. Now, Bill, you're the author of the Now Next, Last and Final Prophecies, and this book that we're talking about today uh, is part of that series. Is that correct? It is, Mark. Yes, thank you. And it's a, we call it our Here to Eternity series, the Now Prophecies, which came out in 2017, talks about the prophecies that could happen at the present time they'd like, any preconditions. And the second book came out in 2018 called The Next Prophecies, which have a few minor preconditions that pretty much will be fulfilled when the Now Prophecies find their fulfillment. But then we get into the last prophecies, the prophecies in the first three and a half years of the Tribulation, that came out in 2019 gets into the prophecies in the first part of the first three and a half years of the tribulation then the final prophecies get into the second last three and a half years of the tribulation that came out in 2020 and then the book we're excited about came out in 2021 called the millennium prophecies that we're doing the show on today yeah just kind of tell folks uh about you know people want to know what is the millennial you know so can you kind of kind of explain what where that fits into bible prophecy Yes, uh, after the second coming of Jesus Christ, at the end of the seven-year tribulation period, he restores the earth to Garden of Eden-like conditions, and he will set his throne up in a new Jerusalem, and he will rule and reign over the earth for a thousand years. That's where the word millennium comes from. All kinds of great things going on. We can talk about some of the highlights of that period of time. Uh, Believers will inherit, first of all, several things happen with believers. Church-age believers will co-reign with him during that time. Uh, there will also be resurrected Old Testament saints who, of course, were believed, had faith and got saved. There will be resurrected tribulation saints. So initially, it will all be saved people going into the millennium. Uh, there will be people who go from the old earth who are in their human bodies who were saved. They get saved during the tribulation period. There will also be believers that will go into the millennium and repopulate. However, there will still be a sin nature that goes on. So Christ will roll with a rod of iron, not with a feather. Because those people, the offspring of those saved people who go into the millennium will have to make a decision like anyone does right now for Jesus Christ as their Savior. But then it'll go for a thousand years, and a lot of wonderful things going on there. Christ will reign as a as a monarch, but he'll have a branch of government. We can talk about the different branches of government, the Jewish and the Gentile, etc. It's going to be a very exciting time. It's the high point of Old Testament Bible prophecy, but in the Old Testament, of course, they didn't know it would be for a thousand years. Yeah. And so we find out in Revelation chapter 26 times it talks about the thousand-year period, and we, therefore we call that the millennium. Yeah. Right here in the first part of the book, in the contents of the book, you, chapter 1, you talk about the premillennium, the amillennium, and the postmillennium perspectives. Can you kind of line out what that's about? Right. The premillennium is dealing with when Jesus returns before the millennium and sets up the millennium and reigns within the millennium. All millennium, all means without, or you know, basically would mean no millennium. Some little faith believe that there's, we're in the millennium now or there's no millennium. 
post-millennium deals with uh, after the, he comes back after the so-called thousand years. Some believe we're already living in it. So pre-millennium, of course, is the position of the book. He comes back and sets up the thousand-year kingdom. Okay. Why is there a, a millennial period? Why, why do we see a millennium period? Uh, does there have to be for a certain reason? Uh, well, yeah, there is. Basically, Jesus Christ has promised the, you know, to rule and reign over the over the earth. He's going to be given the title deed. He paid the price, of course, for our sins, and he will be. It's pretty much set up for him to rule and reign with his believers and loved ones. Also, he owes there's promises that were made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob four thousand plus years ago that they would be a great nation. They would have a, a descendants that multiplied like the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore. Uh, they'd be given a large chunk of land in Genesis 15:18 called the Promised Land, which Genesis 15:18 tells us courses from the Great River of Egypt, probably the Nile, on through to the uh, River Euphrates, which is through Syria and Iraq today, which basically would fit about 36 of the tiny Israels of today into that land. That that land will be necessary to be that large, so that all the descendants can you know, populate the earth. The millennium and Abraham's covenant can be ultimately fulfilled. Those promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Also, the resurrection of the Old Testament and the tribulation saints, that they can also be alive and enjoy the, the fruits of their belief. Yeah. Uh, so, those are just a few of the reasons. Yeah. Also, Satan has to be bound. He's got to be gone. Uh, and he'll be bound in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. The Antichrist and false prophet will be cast in the lake of fire. So, uh, the bad apples, if you will, will be out of the way, but that does not stop the sin nature from still coming on into the millennium to the, the human beings that come forward into that period of time. But what will happen is the people in the money will not be able to say when they sin that the devil made me do it because he'll be bound for a thousand years. Yeah. So there's really not just like the devil being around to give us the influence of sin, but that sin nature in people. So I'm just trying to go from what I've picked up on in the years past and, you know, hearing people talk about this so that people kind of understand. So is this an area of where everybody will be in the terrain or will this just be a certain group of people? Well, there'll be different roles uh, in the millennial government. Uh, so, for instance, I'll give you a couple of things. It'll be, uh, let's talk about the church, first of all. Okay. Um, the church will reign as kings and priests with Jesus Christ. And I'll give you a couple of verses on that. Uh, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's Revelation 1, 6. So he's making us into kings and priests. As kings, we will co-reign with him when he rules with the rod of iron. As priests, we will be doing priestly functions, you know, like intercession. And Remember, there's a lot of people who have to be led to the Lord in that period of time. The offspring will also need to make a decision. And it goes on to say in Second Timothy 2, 11 and 12 that it's a faithful saying, For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. So the talks about us co-reigning with him, and that would be in that period of time. If we deny him, he will also deny us. So this is the thing there now, the, the, the resurrection tribulation saints who get saved after the rapture of the church in the tribulation period, they have a different function. Uh, we're told here in uh, Revelation 20, verse 4, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. 
and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But here's their role is different than ours. And when it says here in Revelation seven fourteen and fifteen, seven chapter chapter seven verses fourteen and fifteen, these come out of the great tribulation, and they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. So they're going to be more confined toward the temple. Uh, they will be co-reigning with Jesus Christ. They were serving Him in the temple. So then we get into the the Jewish branch. That covers some of the Gentile branches. Of course, the Messiah, the Monarch, the King of Kings, and Lord of Lords, Revelation 19.6. But there'll be also the Prime Minister of Israel at that time will be King David. He'll be resurrected, it says here in Ezekiel 34, 23, verses 23 and 24. I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them. My servant David, he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them, I, the Lord, have spoken. So he'll be the prime minister, but Jesus Christ, of course, will be the king of kings and lord of lords. Twelve apostles have a very interesting role, too. They'll be sort of like the Supreme Court justices at that time. Uh, you know, basically it says sure. here in Matthew 19, Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you, will, you who have followed me will sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. There's a whole lot more things going on. There'll be judges and counselors and things. Uh, Israel will be a guiding nation to the Gentile nations that will exist at that time. But that's just a few of the samples of what happens in the millennial government. Yeah. And you talk about, but mankind maintains um, a sin nature here. I'm talking about some of the things you're talking about in the book. So does that mean, Bill, that at the end of this thousand-year reign when the devil is let loose, that actually some people would follow him? Well, it really does. Let me read a, a kind of a proof text here that helps okay. to talk about the age of accountability, that it's difficult to find such an age of accountability in the present church age or in the, the Bible, Old or New Testament, until you get to this verse, which is pertaining to the millennium, though. And the age of accountability is 100 years old, and here's what it says in Isaiah 65, verse 20. It says, No more shall an infant from there live but a few days nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. And what, what that's saying is it'll be longer life, for one, and it'll be a different style of life. There's interesting things about uh, children interacting with, with nature, non-predatory behavior, this sort of thing. We can get into that also. But it says the child is going to live at least to be 100 years old. And at that 100 years old, if that child has not made a decision to receive Jesus Christ, they're the sinner at that point, and they run the risk of being accursed. And if they died at 100 years old as a sinner, they would not be you know, going into the eternal order as a believer, which follows the millennium. Yeah. So in other words, they have 100 years to get it right, to make their decision. Uh, but after that 100 years, at any day forward at that point, if they die, they die as a sinner, unsaved. So that's the thing there, and it gets into, the, that's why Jesus is ruling with the rod of iron. So when you ask that question about are there sinners running around at the end of the thousand years, the, there's a whole lot of sinners running around at the end of the thousand years, because we talked about in Revelation 20 how uh, Satan is going to be released. It, it says here in Revelation 20, verses 8 through 10. So this is very astounding to me because there's not just a couple sinners running around. There's yeah. a whole international force of these guys running around, which is really surprising because you think with the devil being bound and for a thousand years and with Jesus reigning on the earth, 
uh, and the whole world is covered with the knowledge of the Lord, it says, and we're running around as kings and priests uh, trying to spread the word, and etc. It goes on to say in Revelation 20, and when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison, that would be the abyss and or, and or bottomless pit. And he's going to go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. So let's stop there for a minute. The devil did not change his ways being confined in the abyss for a thousand years. He figured out a way to come back and deceive the nations of the world in the four corners of the earth. And that's what he does when he gets unleashed after the thousand years. This happens in what's called the aftermath period. So after the thousand years, you have an aftermath period of an unspecified period of time. Several things go on, and this is one. And then after that, you have the eternal order, the new heavens and the new earth, per se. But it says he goes out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, not just downtown. You know, the four corners of the earth, international. And he refers to it as Gog and Magog. And some people think, well, that's Ezekiel 38, but it's not. And I can give you reasons, time permitting, as to why it's an entirely different scenario. But he does title it Gog and Magog from the four corners of the earth to gather them together to battle. And look at the amount of this, whose number is as the sand of the sea. There's going to be that many people who are tired of being ruled with the rod of iron by the end of the thousand years. Just a multitude of them. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. That would be Jerusalem. Of course, the tribulation saints resurrected her there also. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So this, it's, a, it's a quick war. God puts an end to it quickly. Fire from heaven comes down, and it says the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So there goes your third inhabitant of the lake of fire, and he gets down there to meet up with his cohorts, the Antichrist and the false prophet. And of course, then after that, you have a white throne judgment. That's a whole entirely big deal. All the unbelievers ultimately go to that. And that's the judgment they have to face and give an account for their lives. But ultimately, they also will then join up with that trio of the false trinity in the lake of fire. So, of course, that's why we're telling people to get saved. <laughs> when you understand the, the nature of the lake of fire, you just you don't want anyone, even your worst no. enemy, to, to go there. No. So, Bill, you've, of course, done this book here. You've got a series on this. You've done quite a few things over the years. Now, people would want to know more about this book. Uh, you know, the millennium prophecies then, and the New Jerusalem is what it says, uh, and the altar, what other stuff you've done as well. How would they go about, because I know you put out a lot of DVDs on this and other stuff, how would they go about getting a hold of your ministry? Well, the, the primary place to go would be to our website. We have an online product store which includes all the 11 books and 11 DVDs. This DVD, this book does have a DVD also that goes with it. They're all it's a teaching type DVD, PowerPoint slides and images. So they would go to prophecydepot.com, Prophecy Depot, like homedepot.com. Now, you can also find a lot of these things on Amazon, a lot of them on Kindle. Uh, also, a lot of ministries carry the products as well, like Prophecy Watchers and sure. others. So, But we do like them to come to prophecydepot.com. And then, while they're there, they can see all of the articles that I've written and media shows I've done, TV and radio, etc. All right, well, folks, stay with us, and we're going to be back with more right after this. This is Mark Taylor. If you miss a broadcast of Crosspoint, you can always go to our website at www.kneo.org and click on the Programs page. There you can access the current Crosspoint program as well as the last four programs that have been aired. 
Never miss another Crosspoint program again. Go to www.kneo.org today. Welcome back to Crosspoint. I'm Mark Taylor, and uh, today we're talking here on Crosspoint with Bill Salas, uh, the Millennium Prophecies and the New Jerusalem. Uh, latest, one of his latest works out here, and we're Bill. We're talking, looking at chapter eight right now, the salvation of the sheep Gentiles, and this promoting social justice. Are the sheep Gentiles promoting social justice? That's what it says here on page one hundred and nine. And you even mentioned uh, Nancy Pelosi there of some of the stuff that she has said. So tell us how people do this thing, and this what this how this ties into this uh, part of your book. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, first of all, you go to Matthew chapter 25, and there's this judgment between the uh, sheep and the goat Gentiles. And this is what's happening when Jesus Christ comes. He's going to have to... Remember, there's still people running around on the earth who've had taken the mark of the beast, unbelievers, they've been worshiping the Antichrist. And amidst them, of course, are those who are saved to survive the tribulation, which will be difficult to do, but they will survive. And they're the ones that are going to inherit going to the Messianic Kingdom. So they're called the sheep Gentiles. So he gathers the sheep to the right-hand side when he's in Jerusalem. And, of course, that's a position of honor. He puts the goats, the unbelievers, on the left-hand side. And then the process, he says to the, in Matthew 25, verses uh, 33 through 36, he says, I'll set the sheep on the right hand. And he says to them, ultimately, the king will say to those on the right hand, Jesus saying to them on the right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the Messianic kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Because for when I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me in prison. And they're, they're, the sheep Gentiles are saying, well, when did we do those things? And uh, he said, well, when you, at least of what, when you did the least to my brethren, you did to me. So this is where the social justice thing comes in with the politicians. They start saying, you know, you need to you know, feed the, the hungry, the thirsty, the homeless, the nakedness, take care of them, the sickness, and, you know, be social, you know, justice and love all these people, which is true, we should. But, of course, that's not the context of this. what's being said here in Matthew 25. This is dealing with the end times judgment, who's getting into the mess out of the kingdom and who's not. So they take it out of context, but the bottom line is, What's important to realize is the order in which Jesus lays out these good deeds that they did, these acts of kindness. He says, when I was hungry, first he starts with hungry and then being thirsty and then homeless and then nakedness and sickness and imprisonment. So when I was hungry, you gave me food. Now remember in the tribulation period, if you don't take the mark of the beast, especially in the second half of the tribulation when it's available, you can't buy or sell. So unless you're you know, well prepared, you're going to get hungry. And and then when you get hungry, you're going to get thirsty as well. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink, he says to them. Of course, after your food and your th- your drink comes runs out your water, you got to leave to get more, and then you become homeless, right? And then as you're homeless, it says, when I was a stranger, you took me in. So there'll be these will be people who are helping those individuals. Then ultimately, when you leave, you can only take X amount of garments with you on your backpack or whatever you got, and pretty soon you become naked. That's the fourth thing in the bit downward spiral of events during this perilous period of time. And he says, when I was naked, you clothed me. Of course, when you're homeless, thirsty, hungry, naked, clothes are wearing out, your garments, you get sick. When I was sick, you visited me. Ultimately, when you're sick, you're an easy easy catch to find to be in prison. And when I was in prison, you came to me. So these are the individuals that sort of be like the Oscar Schindlers of, at the time of the Holocaust. And some people say, when, at least my brethren, you did to me. They're talking about 
the Jewish, Jesus Christ is a Jew, they would say his, the Jewish remnant, the the, the Jews who turned toward Jesus in the tribulation, they, they would say some people believe that's the brethren he's referring to, that these sheep Gentiles are helping those Jewish people in persecution. Others believe that it could also be just believers in general, the, the disciple brethren theory. So, example, Matthew 12, 49 through 50, talks about brethren, what it says here, it says, Jesus Christ stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So more than just biological, it could also incorporate uh, also the other Gentile believers, as well as the Jewish believers who are in persecution. Uh, the, Bible, the new commentary on the Bible, on the whole Bible, New Testament, says this. These commentators say that this is a judgment on the Gentiles who survived the tribulation and that the judgment will be based on treatment of the Jews called Christ's brothers, but another view is that the scene describes a personal, public, final judgment on men according to the treatment they have given to Christ and consequently pertains to men within the Christian faith. I kind of favor both views. I think it incorporates them all. But the point is, these these are the good guys. These are the believers who don't take the mark of the beast, who do, at the, at the at time of travail, are reaching out, trying to uh, help those in need who are hungry, thirsty, homeless, sick, naked, and in prison. Now, now, chapter 10 of the book is called The Slaughter of the Goat Gentiles. I, I like some of these titles here. It kind of gets your attention of what's going on here and talking about. And I'm looking on page 137, and you say, for an unbeliever, the first death is the only is only phase one. The phase two is an even worse it's in order for the unbeliever soul to experience the second death after the millennium is apparently needs to be suited for the tangible body once again, which happens at the second resurrection. Unlike the first death, the second death does not seem to kill the body nor the soul. Rather, they appear to be uh, attached together and alive when the unbeliever goes into the lake of fire. That's kind of a pretty sobering thought, isn't it? Well, it is. Basically, when someone dies presently, if they're saved, they get to be in the presence of the Lord. Uh, ultimately, they will be into a resurrected body, but they, an unbeliever loses his body. It dies, which is the separation of the, the, the material body from the soul, but the, the individual soul still goes into a, a, a containment place, which we call Hades or hell right now. Living people can't get into hell, only the souls, the dead part. Uh, now, when the lake of fire comes, no one gets into the lake of fire unless they're alive, in other words, resurrected. So, for instance, the first two inhabitants of the lake of fire were told in Revelation 19, they get, that's the Antichrist and false prophet, they get cast alive into the lake of fire. Then a thousand years later, Satan, who is alive and has a body, gets released from the abyss, and he gets cast alive into the lake of fire. So now we have billions, maybe trillions, I don't know, throughout all time, of unbelievers who have now got to get out of Hades and stand before the white throne judgment, and they will be resurrected. Uh, it says in Revelation 20, verses 14 through 15, the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades, or in other words, hell, filled up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. And then it goes on to say, Revelation 20, 14 and 15, then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So, death in Hades is no longer a zip code that will exist at that point, because it, it gives way into the territory of the lake of fire. There'll be no more 
dead souls, per se, from that point forward, that go into, need a place to go, of confinement. They'll actually, you know, all the unbelievers will be resurrected, and they'll be put into the lake of fire. And the reason they had to be re- resurrected, Mark, is it says in Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11, Therefore God, the Heavenly Father, also has highly exalted Jesus Christ, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on the earth and of those under the earth in hell, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's no exceptions to that. Every knee and every tongue will confess. Knee will bow and tongue confess. So they're given the bodies to stand before the life on judgment, given account for their life, and ultimately, since they have no advocate in Jesus Christ, their works did not save them. And they will have to make a confession, the drop a knee, and the confess that Jesus is the Lord. Now, that's not an altar call. That's why we tell people to do that now. That's what believers have done. Believers will do in the tribulation, and believers will continue to do in the Messianic kingdom. Yeah. But the bodies are given so that that prophecy can be fulfilled. Yeah. Now, uh, and you talk about what, in the book, about what different people do believe in in some of these areas of Bible prophecy, uh, you know, in regards to the millennial reign and how things work, uh, and you quoted them here in the book. Uh, one part here, before we get out of this chapter, uh, right at the end of the chapter, uh, there on page 157, you was talking about a, a quote that the Bible prophecy John uh, MacArthur had made. But in part two of that, you mentioned the people then who are allowed to go into the millennial in physical bodies will be the sheep, the believers. Is that correct? Yes. They're the ones that go through the sheep and goat judgment, Gentile, Gentile judgment, Matthew 25. And, and of course, they were commended for... And, for many of them, of course, they're, they're all believers, but many of them actually went beyond the call of duty and helped the thirsty, hungry, homeless, you know, et cetera, the brethren. And they're the ones who are going to be going into the Messianic kingdom. And, and it's a very conducive environment to longer life. They will bear children. Uh, they will try to train their children in the ways of the Lord and become believers as they are. Throughout time, though, over a thousand years and the multiple generations, of course, we talked about this earlier, uh, a lot of those children will not make that decision. And they they run the risk at the age of 100 of dying as a sinner. And then ultimately, if they die as a sinner, they will ultimately be at that white throne judgment we just talked about. So that's the sheep Gentiles are the those that go forward into the Messianic kingdom. Now, there will be, there'll be a Jewish remnant that goes into the Messianic kingdom. Uh, faithful Jewish remnant, we're told, but there will also be Gentile remnants to go in there as well. So, for instance, you have, uh, we're told in Jeremiah chapter 49, verses 39, dealing with Elam, which is part of Iran today on the west, the Persian Gulf side, uh, that they will have a remnant, the fortune will be restored, we're told that Jordan will have a remnant in Jeremiah 49, verse 2. We're told that uh, Egypt and Assyria will have a remnant in Isaiah chapter 19. And there's all other scriptures I put in the book showing all, a lot of Gentiles, islands of Tarshish and other places like that. And of course, we have to find out where they are on a map today. But uh, So the point is that those sheep Gentiles are going to be believers who come from different countries and ethnicities and nationalities, not just the Jewish people, the faithful Jewish remnant of Zechariah chapter 13, verse 9, but also Gentiles as well. Okay. Bill, again, if people's wanting to know more about all this 
I mean, you do go pretty in-depth in this stuff, so you do a lot of studying, you can tell that. And so, uh, you know, and even your DVD series and stuff could be used in small group settings and things like that. So tell people how they could find out more about what you do and uh, how to go ahead and maybe get some of this information. Sure. Thanks again, Mark. And, and of course, this is all available on our website called prophecydepot.com. We're prophet. I founded Prophecy Depot Ministries, so it's Prophecy Depot, like HomeDepot.com. We got a product page with all the books and DVDs. We got my articles, the media sources, and things like that, the interviews, and uh, that sort of thing. So ProphecyDepot.com. Okay. All right, folks, stay with us. We're going to be back with more in just a moment. A place of hope. Christian Radio is encouraging you. It's lifting you up. It's speaking positive stuff to you. It's reminding you, oh yeah, God is bigger Bigger. than what you're going through. God is greater. Experience hope on 91.7 The Word. Welcome back to Crosspoint. I'm Mark Taylor, your host. My guest today is Bill Salas. We're talking about the millennial reign of prophecies and the new jerusalem the latest book that he's put out and a dvd as well that i will uh mention there uh chapter 13 of the book you talk about the jews in the millennial reign or millennial kingdom now you know we've heard of the hundred and forty-four thousand, and you know and then you talk about the jews that are going to be there uh, how does this all work together because everything basically does kind of circle around the jewish people the jewish state Right, and we talked about in the first segment how a promise was made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob, of course, went on had 12 sons, 12 tribes of Israel, that their descendants would be multiplied, this is in Genesis 22, verses 17, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sandwiches on the seashore. So God has made an unconditional promise that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would have multitude of descendants, and of course they haven't had that yet, but they will in the Messianic Kingdom. It says in Zechariah 13, uh, excuse me, yes, Zechariah 13, 9, during the tribulation period I will bring one-third of the Jewish people, that's what it's alluding to, through the fire, fire of the tribulation. I will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer them and I will say, this is my people, and each one will say, the Lord is my God. And there are other verses that talk about them actually being a faithful Jewish remnant, being restored into the Messianic kingdom. Romans 11, verses 26 to 27 is important. And so Israel will be saved. So all Israel will be saved, as it is written. Now, that is represents all Israel at that point in time, because Zechariah 13, 8 talks about two-thirds of the Jewish people in the land were killed or cut off. So they're talking about what's left is one-third that will be brought through the fire, Zechariah 13, 9. It says, all Israel at that point will be saved as is written. The Deliverer will come out of Zion. They will turn away the ungodliness from Jacob. That would be Israel. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sin. So what's going to happen is the Jewish remnant, in Matthew 23, Jesus was uh, denied by the Jewish leadership as the Savior. And he said, listen, I'm not going to return to you until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so that means at some point in time, there's going to be a Jewish remnant that's going to make that confession, blessed are you who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's going to be this one-third. There'll be a remnant hiding in the tribulation, escaping the persecution of the Antichrist. They're going to recognize Jesus Christ as the Lord, and they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and he will come for them. So they've become believers. They've become nationally. Israel becomes believers. 
and they are a, a major part of who inhabits the Messianic Kingdom. Now, the way you've got the book broke down here, you've got 21 chapters in the book, but each chapter you break down so people can kind of, uh, to me, find those nuggets that are in there, in those chapters. And, you know, it really gets to picking things up uh, very seriously after chapter 17, uh, chapter 18, chapter 19. Uh, you talk about, you know, what a lot of people wonder about, the great white throne judgment when the books are open. Uh, you know, you talk about the, you know, these wars that we're going to hear about. Talk about the lake of fire. Uh, you know, you, you talk a lot about things I don't think uh, most people really get into. You really jump into this pretty much in death, uh, and then you kind of give your final observations at the end of that. But the reason for putting the book together like this was that once they got into a chapter to explain what the chapter the reading is all about so that they can kind of get a better grasp on where you're leading them? Yes. J. Dwight Pentecost had said that there's more said about the millennium than any other time period in the Bible, even more than said than the first coming and even the tribulation period. As I was writing this book, I realized he was exactly right in what he said, because it's actually the thickest book of the series. One of the main reasons is to evangelize. We wanted people to know about these various parts. The highlights, I want to read a couple of highlights of the millennium to, to your listeners and the new Jerusalem and the eternal order. There's a lot of bright future for people who put their faith in Christ now and during the tribulation. But I also wanted to warn people about what happens if you don't, and then and the white throne judgment, of course, and what happens at the end of the millennium, etc. Some of the highlights in the Messianic Kingdom that I think it's very important for your listeners to understand is there'll be a global, global government ruled by Jesus Christ. There'll be only gladness and rejoicing in millennial Jerusalem, that millennial Jerusalem will exist, a world filled with knowledge and glory of the Lord, many kind-hearted people leading righteous lives, no more war, a pure singular language, instantaneous answer to prayer, an end of blindness and deafness, crippled that will walk and leap and mute who will talk and sing, and it goes on, there'll be no more remembrance of bad events from the past, places will be restored to Garden of Eden-like conditions, children will be playing with dangerous animals and snakes, life will be in the Dead Sea gushing waters and wilderness and streams and flowing in the deserts, abundant vegetation, grain and grapes that grow faster than they can be harvested, many vineyards with the drip with sweet wine and robust construction and farming industries. Now, after the thousand-year millennium happens, then you get into the white throne judgment, that aftermath period, but then quickly thereafter you get into what's called the eternal order. Find out a lot of that information in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, where it says there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. The millennial earth is going to be restored. The, the, the current earth that we live on now is going to be restored because it's going to be destroyed so badly from the judgment and the tribulation. Christ will restore that. But in the eternal order, there'll be a new, brand new heaven and a new earth. There'll be a holy new city called the New Jerusalem. Uh, God the Father will dwell amongst his people. Now, right now in the, in the, the millennium, God the Father, his kind of glory will, will dwell in the millennial temple. And Jesus Christ himself will dwell on the earth, but God the Father, because there'll still be sin on the earth during the millennial kingdom, his, he can't physically dwell, just as Shekinah glory can dwell in the temple. However, that changes when there's no more sin, and it's all been judged at the white throne judgment. And then at that point, God the Father will dwell amongst his people, according to Revelation 21, verse 3. And there'll be no more death, sorrow, crying, or pain. Remember, there'll still be death in the millennial kingdom, and the sinner could die at the age of 100. All things will be made new. God's people will be treated like sons and become heirs to all things. 
There'll be no fifth Jewish temple for God and the Lamb, Jesus Christ, our temple. There'll be a crystal clear, pure river of life and a healing tree of life. Uh, the New Jerusalem's a whole other high point, but those, those are the high points I want to let the listeners know. You know, this is what your future holds, and that's, we're not too far away, potentially, if we're as far as along the end times line as we think. Uh, we're not too far away from the millennium, you know, coming together. You know, you got tribulation, seven years of that. Of course, the church, I believe, will be pulled out before that. I'm a pre-rapture believer. But nonetheless, you know, if we're deep into the end times line, which is where I think we are, we've seen every end times sign converge right now. There's no weapon that's not fashioned, no technology that's not developed, no national relationship that's not formed that would tell me otherwise. Um, we're deep into the end times. Therefore, the Millennium Kingdom is coming not too far down the road. And uh, people need to put their faith in Christ, escape the tribulation, and get into the millennium. And that's a guarantee that they'll go there if they're followers of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Now, what happens during this period uh, with the angels and the demons? I mean, what what are they what are they doing at a period of time like this? Well, are you talking about the angels in general, or are you talking about the bad angels? And but, well, the bad, the bad and, yeah, the bad and the good, I guess you could say. Yeah, well, it's interesting. You know, we have a lot of demons showing up in the tribulation period. We would believe that yeah. the fifth and tr- sixth trumpet judgments involve demons. You've got uh, these locust de- demons that torment unsaved men for five months, fifth trumpet, and then you've got a 200 million man, probably demonic army that kills a third of mankind. And those particular, we would say, demons, we don't know where they go after they do their their tasking. So they're probably still on the earth. And then there's a war in heaven at the mid part of the tribulation between Michael the Archangel and Satan. And he Satan loses and he gets cast under the earth for the final three and a half years of the tribulation with his fallen angels with them and they're upset because there's no they can't get back up to heaven and they know their time is short. So I think as we get into the end of the tribulation you've got a I don't know how many millions, hundreds of millions bad angels and demons on the earth. They may even outnumber mankind at that point in time. But then we know what happens is the first thing that happens when Jesus returns and defeats the Antichrist in the Armageddon battle campaign is Satan gets cast out of the scene into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. The Antichrist and false prophet get cast in the lake of fire for a thousand years. But we're not really told what's interesting, Mark, and I actually went out and reached out to some of my colleagues to get their opinion on this. Fascinating things, quotes I put in the book from Dave Reagan, Mark Hitchcock, Andy Woods. Ron Rhodes, Ellie Marzulli, Gary Stearman, just to name a few. Uh, we're not really told where they, all the other bad apples, the demons and the fallen angels go, but the, the general consensus is they go where Satan goes. They're probably confined in the abyss, not necessarily the lake of fire. And then, of course, when Satan comes out, uh, they probably come out with him at the end of the millennium. And they all, at that point in time, Satan loses that Magog, Gog and Magog, second Gog and Magog invasion and fire comes down from heaven and consumes him, you know, and he gets cast in like a fire. So we think we think they follow his failed footsteps through the abyss, and then when he comes back after a thousand years, he gets cast in like a fire. We we think they're they're shadowing him all the way. It's like when they get cast out of heaven at the mid part of the tribulation, they're following him as as his followers. Yeah. And the role of the church during this period of time or the Christians is what would you consider with the role of the church with this being the New Jerusalem? By the way, the New Jerusalem, Warren Wiersbe says, is probably about the size of two-thirds of the United States. No. It's, it's so huge. Uh, here's a quote from him. I want to talk about that. Because it comes down from heaven like a bride adorned. You know, And, of course, the, the church represents the bride of Christ. But it says the dimensions of this 
and descriptions of this city stagger our imagination. Four square means equal on all sides, which may mean that this city is a perfect cube, a holy of holies radiant with the presence of God, or it could be a pyramid. In either case, city measures about 1,500 miles each way, and that's up, down, north, west, south, east, or two-thirds, United, I just threw that in, but he says, or two-thirds the size of the United States. And the New Jerusalem is going to be situated on a great and high mountain. It's going to be constructed of pure gold, which includes a main street of gold, filled with the glory of God, illuminated by God and Jesus Christ. It's going to have massively high walls made of jasper stone, pearl gates named by the named for the twelve tribes of Israel, and foundations of precious gemstones. A whole menu of these unbelievable gemstones uh, named after the apostles. So we have to figure with those kind of details provided primarily in Revelation chapter 21, that the church is going to be heavily integrated uh, into the New Jerusalem. The interesting thing is some people wonder if the New Jerusalem is actually a satellite city that exists today. And, and is it possible, if that's the case, that this is where the mansions that Jesus Christ is preparing for his believers, according to John 14, 1 through 6, is this where he's preparing those mansions? Uh, you know, Abraham, as we're told that... Uh, let me. I got a moment. I'll read a quote to you. This is from John Wolvert in his Bible Knowledge Commentary. Many expositors regard the promise of Christ in John fourteen two that says, "I am going to prepare a place for you," as referring to this city, the Jerusalem. Suggestion has been made that if the New Jerusalem is in existence during the running reign of Christ, it may have been suspended in the heavens as a dwelling place for resurrected and tribulated and translated saints, who nevertheless have immediate access to earth to carry on their functions of ruling with Christ. J. Dwight Pentecost, for instance, quotes Jennings and Kelly and Scott as supporting the concept of New Jerusalem as a satellite city during the millennium. Remember that when John, when Abraham saw the city, we find out 4,000 years ago, in Hebrews 11, 9 through 10, by faith Abraham dwelt in the land of promise in a foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob and heirs with him of the same promise, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So Abraham actually, I believe, saw this city and had had foundations at that time. And then when John says in Revelation 21, verse 2, I saw, then I, John, saw the holy city in the Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared bride, done for her husband. So he didn't see the blueprints of the city. Abraham saw the foundations of the city. John saw the city. So in my estimation, it's quite possible that that is the satellite city, and that is where mansions that Jesus Christ is making for his believers, as promised in John 14. And I'm going to read that real quickly. John 14, 1 through 4. This is what John Mulvard was referring to in his quote. It says, Jesus says, let your heart not be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be, and where I go, you know, and the way you know. He says nine times, you or your. It's a very personal message, not just to the apostles, but he's going to prepare mansions in his father's house. So here's how I kind of conclude the book. It says, this is a quote from the Lending Prophecies book. The mansions being prepared for you as the believer are in my Father's house, which places their location where Jehovah dwells, which is according to Revelation 21, 2, and 3, is the God, the Father will dwell in the eternal order among his people in the golden city, holy city of New Jerusalem. That's where Jesus' Father will live in the eternal order. That's where I believe he lives right now. Yeah. Perhaps this is a zip code that Jesus Christ is presently preparing a place for you. 
In other words, I, I, I put the encouraging thought that we're here today. Jesus Christ comes and gets us and raptures us, and he takes us to our mansions and we're in the New Jerusalem. So we're here today, but in the New Jerusalem tomorrow. And if that's if I'm correct, that means that the most split second of the rapture, we go directly to the New Jerusalem, which ultimately descended down from heaven for the eternal order to exist and God's presence to dwell there. Well, Bill, you're a wealth of information on all this stuff. And if people want to find out more and get this DVD and this book and other books, DVD series that you've done, how would they go about doing that? The uh, best thing to do is go to the website, prophecydepot.com, prophecydepot, like homedepot.com, and have an online book and DVD store there for them. All right. Well, Bill, thank you so much for being with us today here on Crosspoint. All right, Mark. Thank you. Well, it's a pretty good interview today. Boy, Bill has sure got a lot of information there for you. Folks, he gets it from the Holy Bible, the book in my other hand. And, uh, you know, you want to know what the Bible says. You want help from people like Bill Salas that can help you understand these areas of the Bible that may not be just quite clear to you. But always remember, it's the Bible that you need to know. It's the Word of God. It never changes. It contains the most important words you're ever going to read and certainly ever follow. Be sure to join us again next time as we again discuss issues that are affecting the church. Have a great week. Allow God to use you for His purposes so that greater things can be done. Make your life count in God's plans for eternity. I'm Mark Taylor. Crosspoint is a program produced in Studio 101 at KNEO Radio. Not all of the views on Crosspoint reflect those of the management or staff of KNEO. You may contact the Crosspoint program at 10827 Highway 86 East, the Osho, Missouri, 64850, or by email, crosspoint at kneo.org. You can hear Crosspoint four times a week, Saturday morning at 1, Saturday afternoon at 2, Saturday evening at 9, and Sunday evening at 7. You can also listen anytime online. Harper's Kennel of Stella, Missouri is proud to be sponsoring this portion of broadcasting on KNEO. Owned by Judy and Danny Harper, Harper's Kennel of Stella, Missouri specializes in French Bulldogs. For more information, the phone number is 417-628-3083. Are you walking in everything God has for you? Hi, I'm Pastor Gary Culp, and I'd like to invite you to check out the Exceedingly Abundant Ministries podcast available from the Sky High Podcast Network. This 30-minute weekly Bible study will give you time to grow spiritually and get to know God and His Word on a deeper level. God has more in store for you than you ever realized. Listen to Exceedingly Abundant Ministries today and learn about how God can do more with your life than you ever imagined.